0: Obviously, doctor, you've never been a thirteen-year-old girl. I've We know that. I don't take that blade, I it across the skin. Brave,
1: courage, to press
0: down.
1: Sometimes I think I was born backwards. You know, come out my mom the
0: wrong way. Hi, hi. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Uh, my name is Maggie Dunlap. Uh, I'm an artist from America, but living in London. A Lolita um, scholar, (laughs) I would say. (laughs) Perfect Um, (laughs)
1: for this episode, because we're going to be talking about Lolita. So what's your, um, how did you first get
0: into it? What's
1: your history with that?
0: Well, I came of age on the internet, on Tumblr specifically. I'm 26 now. So... I'm at this point, I'm Humbert, which is my favorite meme on earth. That <laughs> Lana Del Rey writing songs about Lolita, but at this point, she's Humbert. I'm Humbert now. But when I was like 15, 14, uh, and on Tumblr, Lolita was huge. You like could not scroll without seeing tons of stills and like quotes. Um, and it was. Uh, just pre like the sort of like lolita backlash where everyone on the internet started to like be like actually you guys are wrong about lolita it's actually it's fucked up actually and you shouldn't be posting these pictures of the films but i was like i cut my teeth on very much pro lolita content online um and i read the book when i was like that age too which I think is like a great age to read it. That's true. Um, I
1: mean, I I read it when I was like 12, so that's maybe. But it was a great age as well. Like, I feel like it introduced me to a lot of um, the other stuff through it. Yeah, right. No, for sure, definitely. It's funny that you mentioned like the Lolita backlash because I was like <laughs> reading up on the history of Lolita core today just like pre- in preparation for this episode and mm-hmm. there's this wiki fandom article that talks about how like a lot of the Lolita backlash kind of coincided with um the Tumblr purge of 2018 and like when all of oh. the porn was deleted off Tumblr and like a yeah, lot of I'm the so. porn was kind of tagged Lolita content on Tumblr as well. So that's how like yeah, that's how everything like got intertwined on
0: on Tumblr. Yeah, that's really interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I want to reread the book now as like a proper adult because I found my a cup like maybe a year ago. I was like cleaning out my childhood room and I found my copy that I had like underlined and like marked up as a child like as a, a teen and it was so cute and it was so cool to see the things that I had like thought were interesting or beautiful when I was that age and I'd like to like I kind of want to find that copy again I you text my mom and see if she can find it because I want to read that copy like cover to cover and see if the same things resonate now did you like write little notes in the margins and stuff Yeah,
1: definitely. i love to do that. That's cute. Yeah. That kind of makes me think of, um, I don't know, I was just like doing like random research for this. And I came across this Anne Rice quote um, (laughs) on Lolita (laughs) and like the Lolita aesthetic. And it was something along the lines of like how the fact that Lolita is like resonates so much with teenage girls is a sign that like teen girls are not like asexual beings. And that, yeah. like, sure, we wouldn't, shouldn't, like, encourage child sexuality, but, like, it's a, it's a thing that, like, acknowledging right. it is healthy.
0: Yeah, definitely. I also hadn't watched, like, I watched the 1997 Lolita right after finishing reading the book the first time when I was young. And uh, didn't watch Kubrick's Till Much Later. And I think it's funny the way that, like, the much cornier version uh, was what the internet really latched onto aesthetically. Like, the yeah. 97 one is fucking hot. Like, Jeremy Irons <laughs> looks amazing. <laughs> he does, yeah. I mean, and, she I think really I tweeted- looks like a child in, like, a way that I know resonated with me as a child. And the Sue Lion was always so, like... Sh- hot in like a womanly way. But and you know I never I like realized? connected with that. Mm-hmm. You know what I realized Sorry. rewatching the movies yesterday
1: was that I mean Suline was like younger than Dominique Swain, right? Like when she was yeah. cast as Lolita. But they styled her as a child pretending to be a woman, whilst Dominique Swain right. was technically an adult, styled as a <laughs> right. child.
0: Yeah. But- oh, that's really interesting. Maybe that's why uh Tumblr latched onto it so much is because like we were all, I mean even at 16, cosplaying as, like, 16-year-olds. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was yeah. thinking about this, the, the, like, real-time romanticizing of your own teendom that happened because of the internet and specifically sites like Tumblr. I don't know a lot of girls that were, like, necessarily trying to look older when I was online I think yeah. it's like a very that's like hard to pin down now but I think that there was like um a sense of like leaning into your youth as like fetish object uh when you were online at like 15 to 16 years old I mean and I'm, I'm not sure. making like it's not like a that's not like a qualitative statement that is just like something I've clocked
1: no, that's true though. Like I, I saw this meme yesterday. It was like a whisper out meme, and it was something on the lines of like, um, I think I'm gonna kill myself when I'm no longer a teenager. And it yeah. was like clearly posted <laughs> by a teenage girl. And like, yeah. yeah, there was something about like no longer, like when you turn like 20, or whatever, and you're no longer a teen, and you're like, wow, like. I'm no longer, yeah. yeah, I'm no longer like a fetish object. And you start thinking of all the things that you didn't do as a teen. Like, I don't know, having the therapy like an older man or something. And you're like, wow, yeah. I really like, missed out. Like, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna get to experience that. Like teen pregnancies yeah. as well. I know people are into that. <laughs> right.
0: Idea. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> I, think I think that's why I also liked, sorry, on. No,
1: no, no, go for it. I think there's like a slight delay, so. Um, <laughs>
0: oh, that's classic i'm sorry uh okay. i was just going to say that i think that's why i initially liked lana del rey's music so much and still do because i just love her but yeah. um because she was like singing about things that i definitely wasn't experiencing and i wished that i was like i was in like a uh non-age gap relationship for my whole like teen years so I wasn't like a bad girl like uh sneaking out and like having an affair with an older man but I appreciated the like aesthetic of it and I lived it vicariously like through those first few uh Lana Del Rey albums that were like very Lolita-esque I mean it's the I mean
1: <laughs> There's so much like media in general created for that kind of niche though. Like I was thinking about like yeah. the movie Crush with Alicia Silverstone as well. Yeah. Like, the whole idea of like lusting after an older man. That's definitely, I read this essay also like in preparation for this. And it was all about how like, you know, like the idea of an infat is specifically a male thing. Mm-hmm. Where like an older man projects an idea of like a desired nymphet onto a younger girl and she either reciprocates or she doesn't, but it's like the relationship imbalance is implicit in there. While as and the point that the article or whatever the essay was trying to make is that women don't have anything like that. But I think that's untrue. I think in the age of the internet and like living in this like huge archive of all of these like different like media pieces of media and stuff, I think girls are starting to realize the power that teenhood Holds. And as you said, like yeah. it becomes a fetish object where like dating an older man or like fantasizing about an older man, that's like, that's like a new, like the relationship mm-hmm. is there as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the, the power conversation that people have on like all different levels like in uh, like internet spheres where there's a lot of like very opinionated young girls talking about, um, power dynamics on one end of the spectrum. Um, there's also like a discussion to be had that has been had, but maybe I'm just not as like present in those spheres online. So I don't see it as much, um, of like the power that you have as a teen girl. And that's what like struck me about, uh, some parts of Lolita. I need to reread the book to see, if it's that present, but I felt like in the 97 Lolita, there was um, this like indirect seduction that she has that is like totally contingent on her being young and like, uh, quote unquote, disempowered or like the sort of holding less power than her older male um, pursuer. But it always like was obvious to me that she, had all of the power being like the young uh like she had her whole life ahead of her I mean she doesn't actually because it doesn't end that well but yes like the object of youth she has the power of youth that like older men will always try to get close to by getting close to her and I think she like wields it clumsily and like it's not always at the surface but I uh, do feel like it's there, less so in the Kubrick version. Um,
1: I mean, kind of, but I think the power that she holds in that version, I think it's more about, like, the aesthetic of that. I think the fact that she's styled yeah. as an older woman while she's a young yeah. child is kind of implicitly, like, it's implying that she knows yes. what she's doing, sure, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, like, less... definitely. I mean, there's this one scene in the 1997 version that, that, like, makes me think of, you know, where they're in the car, like, right after he picks her up from um, camp or something. Oh, no, no, after the hotel night, like, after they spend Mm -hmm. the night together for the first time. And she's like, oh, I want to stop by the gas station. He's like, why? And she's like, well, I heard inside it was a daisy-fresh girl and you ruined me. And I'm going to go call the police. And he, like, you know, like, his his face, like, changes color. He's, like, sitting there shaking. And she's like, I'm just Mm -hmm. joking. And then she, like, runs into into the gas station. But she definitely that is not to say that I don't like want to get canceled for this or anything. It's like, it's still not okay, whatever, but it's like, it's I mean, that still... goes without saying, but yeah. Yeah. But like the fact that she knows what she's doing for sure.
0: And I think that's Definitely. implicit in the book as well. Mm-hmm. I also think that like, I don't know if you remember, or if like in your research, you saw this specific like mantra that people had online of like saying Lolita is not a love story. Yeah. Which was always so funny to me. Cause I'm like, okay <laughs> all right sure but like there are some genuinely really romantic parts of it and like yeah. love stories can be or I think the most interesting ones are like deeply depraved and uh, dark and uh, involve like murder <laughs> and like yeah you know murder suicide or it wasn't love (laughs) yeah that's exactly right (laughs) that's right (laughs)
1: no but I I think you're right I always found it really funny that that was like yeah like a mantra that people like would just repeat and it's like every time somebody like would post like a I don't know like a set of like um images or like stills from Lolita it'd be like yeah like Lolita is not a love story like don't romanticize Mm -hmm. it and it's like well I mean it's not is it a good is it a healthy love story whatever a healthy love story means I mean probably not but like it's still a story about love and obsession and longing and yearning and all these other things that like make up a love story.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think it's um I get uh <laughs> it's very funny. I get like put into a lot of edits. So like instead of Tumblr, there's now like a culture uh on Instagram and like, you know, I'm not telling you this you know this very well, but yeah, <laughs> the listeners, I don't know if they all know, there's like um the Lolita Pale goth like teen girl um, community has moved to Instagram now, and uh, I get like put into a lot of video edits that usually consist of like clips of my work and then like pictures of me and then like uh, pictures and clips from Lolita the ninety seven Lolita always and then like a a Grimes song over it or like a lot of Del Rey song and it's I love it because, like, I make work that's meant to like live on the internet and have a life of its own online, and like specifically uh, plays on the things I know get circulated. But uh, it's funny to see those the girls who are doing it are like 15 or 16, and they're like grappling with how to uh, use these themes, like how to reckon with them. And they like to like, oftentimes will like do a disclaimer about how like they're not romanticizing Lolita by like making an edit with a Lana Del Rey song and then pictures of like girls from Tumblr and <laughs> and like clips of the film. And I I, it's like breaks my heart a little bit. But I'm also like they'll they'll get there. Like they will, I think through their work, you know, get to yeah. a point where they don't feel the need to make that disclaimer anymore. But there's like because i get tagged in a lot of stuff like this i do also then see arguments that girls have with each other online about like what is and isn't okay to post in regards to (laughs) lolita (laughs) there's a lot of pleasing i find
1: it really interesting like the whole romanticized thing always confused me because it would be like yeah it would be like a collage of like serial killers are like lolita or like you know like a video edit of that stuff and like yeah. the disclaimer would always be like I'm not romanticizing it but it's like what does it even mean to romanticize something like does it mean to just like spread it in a good light like does it yeah. mean the I, disclaimer
0: is missing like what is it what does it mean <laughs> I really don't know something I think about a lot because <laughs> sometimes my work like intentionally I sort of intentionally inserted into those spaces because I think it's an interesting audience to play with kind of not in like a horrible way but in like a you know I'm doing a prank or whatever (laughs) Um, yeah and uh that is what that is the critique that's like leveled against me the most is the romanticization of like things I'm not allowed to um and it I mean, it, it's a very, like, young, uh, and I'm not saying that in a pejorative way at all, but it's like a very young um, critique. Like, I, I don't think anyone over the age of, like, 21 20- would ever make that uh, critique. Yeah. It, it seems like a, I mean, it seems obvious to me that it's, like, a projection of, like, your own uh, feelings of, like, guilt for being attracted to certain things and like the need to like adhere to whatever the party line of like the internet is at the moment because think- obviously obviously we all want to hear about serial killers and we all want to watch movies about young girls having sex with older men like <laughs> I think it's tough for I think it's tough for like <laughs> like uh good <laughs> good-hearted young people to like um hold those two things in their mind that they can be good-hearted young people and also like those things uh, I've like screenshotted all of those things like all the conversations that happen on my posts and maybe one day I'll like make a book about it or something but <laughs> it's um I find it really fascinating to to watch polls. I mean, for sure.
1: It's like the edginess is kind of like apologetic by definition. Mm-hmm. Like, people will try to be edgy online, but then they feel the need to, like, I mean, people, I mean, it's teenagers mostly, right? And they feel yes. the need to, like, apologize for it because I think it has something to do with the fact that. I mean, all of the art that people like edits and like, you know, collages and stuff that people are putting out there, they exist online, right? And the online sphere is more, like it's more similar to how media works as in like, you know, you're like spreading the message to a number of people. It's less of a personal experience and like going to an art gallery or like a different setting that allows the art to exist as a critique in of its own. Because every time yes, you put something right? online, it's like you're trying to spread the message, right? Just by like, right. because it's gonna get reposted, it's gonna get retweeted, it's gonna get like mm-hmm. commented on and so on. So it's like I think people have a hard time sort of reconciling those two ideas, right? That it's like mm-hmm. you can be critiquing it while also engaging in it. And so they yes, they try totally. to do that by like putting those disclaimers up or like or like mm-hmm. yeah feeling like super apologetic about it. It's like, oh you know, like yeah. I I'm I'm attracted to this, but like I know it's fucked up. So like please don't hate me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. It makes me think, what do you think that an adaptation of Lolita could be done today? Or what what do you think it would look like if it was? That's a good question, actually. I think it could be
1: because something like euphoria is allowed to exist, right? Right. And I don't mean... I mean, I don't think it matters what you think about euphoria as like, you know, like a TV show or a piece of art or whatever, because mm-hmm. just the fact that it's a lot to exist and it's a lot to explore those themes, despite the fact that, you know, like people try to try to like get some Levinson canceled cancel like every other week on Twitter. Like every time a new episode right. comes out, yeah. it's like, oh no, you know, he's like fetishizing like trans girls. Like we should like get him fired, whatever. Yeah. It's like a constant conversation. But the fact that it's a lot to exist, I think is a good sign that something like Lolita could be adapted today as right. well it certainly look mm-hmm. different from the 1997 version of it like I think it'd right. be less explicitly pornographic
0: mm-hmm. probably
1: but or maybe actually maybe I'm wrong maybe it would be more pornographic and less erotic that's
0: actually a really good point I think you're spot on there Yeah, I reckon it would be more pornographic and a lot less erotic. It would be totally free of, like, any libido, but it would be graphic as hell, probably. Yeah.
1: (laughs) We'd probably see rape scenes, but not, like...
0: (laughs) Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but she wouldn't like come. <laughs> yeah. <person>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or she wouldn't like initiate it. Like, I think they'd cut right. that part out. It'd just be like, you know, he, like his sleeping pills would work. He would just like put her exactly. to sleep. It would be like, right. a terrible rape scene no one wanted to see.
0: <laughs> yeah. I want to see the sex scenes that had to get cut out of Kubrick's Lolita. I like want to find those reels. (laughs) I'm going to UAL. I'm going to his archive. I'm finding the reels. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I'd
1: like to see those too. That's interesting. But I mean, Sue Lyon as Lolita is fascinating because her Lolita has so much sort of character and libido of her own, but it's The opposite Mm -hmm. of Dominique Swain's in that is it's way less erotic because it's way less innocent. And because she's meant to be playing like a 17-year-old version of Lolita rather than like a 13-year-old one, there's Mm -hmm. a lot more awareness to it
0: as well. Right. Yeah, it's like she's hot because she possesses herself and like there's a lot happening under the surface of her performance in a very adult way Uh, and everything happening below the surface of Dominique Swain's performance is like gangly, um, clumsy, like a little too tall, like growing out of her clothes type of, of like conflict, sexual conflict that's happening with her.
1: I mean, Which is so
0: like hard to look at I mean in in the way that it's supposed to be You know Right No for sure yeah. I mean I think she
1: like matches the definition of an infet In the book itself a lot more Than the yeah, lines
0: section. Yeah, Yeah Yeah And like, when he goes to visit her When she's pregnant The like I feel like the Whatever I mean I, I should have looked up the quotes from the book Before this But I know that I think he mentions that like her aura is gone she's no longer an infant she's just like someone's pregnant wife and i think that that sue lion still looks hot as fuck she looks the same she's wearing glasses you know Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, for sure. But I mean, it's interesting that you bring up that quote because in that quote, he says that, yeah, she's no longer an infet, but I still, he says something like, but I still like looking at her face, I still felt very tender. And I realized that I would always love her no matter what. And I think that's like an interesting transition from the beginning of the book where, you know, he's like, oh yeah, like an infet is like a very specific thing. It's like a girl between the ages, I think nine to like 14 or something. Right. And then later yeah. on he's like, oh yeah, but like it didn't matter. I think that's why Lolita is much more like is actually a love story rather than just yeah. like a story about rape and pedophilia, right? Because despite everything, he still he still loves her as he fucked her, up as an yeah. Ex.
0: yeah, yeah. I agree. And I think like, yeah, I don't know. I think it should be taught in schools <laughs> as like uh not not like a morality scale, <laughs> obviously but as like a a complex, um, unworthy, like, I'm sorry, not unworthy, untrustworthy um, narrator, true love story, like all the complexities that come with being in love, especially if that love is like haram.
1: Yeah. But I mean, any love story ever told is by definition, like, Told by a non-reliable narrator, right? Because love is so complicated, and like any relationship, has like a million different angles to it. I know. Obviously, it's unreliable. It's um makes me think of. I don't know if you've read that book or if you've heard anything about about it, but there's this book called My Dark Vanessa. Mm -mm, No. It's, um, I think it came out in like 2018 or something. And it was, it's about a girl who uh, like falls in love with her English teacher and they start a relationship when she's 14 that lasts until she's like 22. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, and he's like recommending books to her. Like he makes her read Lolita and he's like, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, this is like a love story, whatever. I didn't particularly like that novel. I think it was a little like too judgmental and moralistic, but Mm -hmm. I just think it's interesting that Lolita is not only I mean obviously it's a thing for girls but it's also like an example of complicated love and I think yes right. I've always been to be honest I've always wanted to know what like guys who really love that book think because I've only ever met girls who are obsessed with it. That.
0: that's actually very interesting yeah I could I don't know any man in my life that has any sort of affinity for a Lolita. I know they're out there, but I don't know them. And I wonder if they would be straight. I feel like maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. But that's, I
1: think that's what makes it interesting It's like a, as an object, right? Like rather than just like a story, yeah. a Lolita, the book as an object is a part of like a very specific girl vision like a very spe- for like a very specific niche of girls. Yes,
0: definitely, yeah the object like especially the like the iconography of lolita like the not just the poster but having the poster and hanging the poster up in your room yeah uh, is like that there's so much there that i love (laughs) like to see a like a virgin suicides poster or a lolita poster in a girl's room is like i don't know it's like a um, what's the word? It's not a dog whistle, but the the like embracing not only of the content but of the uh, cultural like object. Yeah, it made me want to get like after I watched both movies, I started looking for posters online because I obviously had one, but not anymore seeing yes. as I'm Humbert age. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah no I'm gonna get one. Also the catddy clock. The camp climax for girls, in the yeah. yeah, there's like a great. I'll send you a, a picture I took of my screen because I was like, I need to find one of those felt flags that like hangs up at a at a camp, and it said, "Camp climax for girls." <laughs> I couldn't find it online. I'm gonna have to make it. That's cute. I love
1: that yeah. yeah I think it's really interesting how like girls especially latch on to pieces of media as like sort of symbols of our own yeah. girlhood right like that's what we tend to do it's like it's not just like objects okay. specifically because obviously Lolita comes with like a number of different like um like physical objects I don't know like the heart-shaped glasses or yeah. um, like the lollipop or you know mm-hmm. like made braids and all of that but it mm-hmm. also like the idea of it
0: exists on its own right I wonder if we'll have you talked about or written about the like uh people sort of like wanting to bring back or at least discuss the like American apparel tumblr golden age that I've, I don't know if I've seen it happening a lot online. And I wonder if Lolita will like become an object like the, or for their, for this like specific sort of like fashion scholarship, if Lolita will be back on like our, our explore pages again with like alongside jelly shoes and like circle skirts and stuff.
1: But I mean, to a certain extent it is right. Like if you look at like Mio Mio and like, yeah. Yeah particular brand of like online burberry skirt lily rose depp fashion
0: yeah no you're you're right and i mean That's brandy right. melville
1: brandy melville oh yeah away. yeah
0: always i still i still be shopping at brandy melville <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean who isn't
0: I mean, it's like a secret
1: but it's like who isn't i know it's not even a secret got, everyone's really open about it
0: <laughs> i know i got recognized in a brandy melville recently um oh. by yeah, it was the best moment of my life. She gave me the employee discount. Um, she like the girls at Brandy Melville came up to me and they were like this one really sweet girl named Elizabeth. So shout out Elizabeth if you're listening. I'm sure she's a, a patron of yours. Um, she like was like, Oh my god, are you Maggie Dunlap? And I was like, I, I can't believe I'm getting recognized into Brandy Melville. I've never been happier. Makes me feel so good to know that the girls, the hot teen girls working at Brandy Melville stand me and will give me the 60% off, whatever it is, employee discount.
1: I mean, of course they do though.
0: I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously your art means a lot to all of us.
0: It's not a lot to me. (laughs) No, shut up. Oh my God. (laughs) You're kidding no really it's it. yeah so I'm like totally well, thank you so much out. I was like oh so my god no way
1: uh, I remember when you followed me on Twitter it was like the greatest moment of my life I was like oh my god like I've made it I don't have to do anything else in my life ever
0: oh my god stop so. you're making me blush
1: <laughs> um, um but um yeah it's totally true but we can move on we don't have to talk about that's it that's so sweet but. <laughs>
0: no, keep going, no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <I'm kidding.
1: laughs> oh,
0: that's so sweet though,
1: but, um, I mean, since we started talking about your art, I wanted to ask you, so mm-hmm. obviously, um you wear victorian clothes or like victorian dresses <laughs> yeah. Quite a lot. hell yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> in the images you post in the videos and obviously the victorian era um represents a kind of like sexual um repression do you yeah, think totally. in a way it's connected to your like teen experiences both lolita and how you like you know thought about your own sexuality at that age
0: oh, that is such a good question I, I'm i mining my brain for an answer that is as interesting as that question. I think that it, it was like a product of being online and like, not just online, but like a member of a very niche online community. Um, and less so, maybe less so an expression of my teen sexuality but I don't know though maybe not I think there was something well I'm trying to find the right words there was something happening online that involved like pictures of abandoned places which is still very much present in my work and like girls in nightgowns and Victorian clothes and like old dolls, like collecting dolls, which I also, also do <laughs> still. Um, yeah. and the sexuality of that was like never necessarily, um, at the forefront of these images, but there's obviously some like dark sexuality there in like being 16 and wearing like uh, a Victorian gown, like buttoned up all the way at the top and like goes you know it drags on the floor behind me like that yeah is inherently sexual um but I think I was always sort of like well have you read I mean I'm sorry if you've talked about this already and I've missed it but have you read uh, Flowers in the Attic no I haven't actually Okay, that's actually, this is huge. This is huge. So Flowers in the Attic, <laughs> Attic is a B.C. Andrews book. It's like a gothic young adult book, I want to say. Um, and it's about, it's another like sexually deviant love story. It's about incest. It's about these like children who get sent uh, who's like parents die, they get sent off to live with their evil grandmother. They live in an attic and they fuck <laughs> like the brother and sister have sex. <laughs> and it's very much like dusty uh, dolls and rocking chairs in the attic and having your first sexual encounter amongst those spaces. Uh, and I think that that was a big influence on not only me, but like all the girls and the way we dressed online uh, in this specific time in internet history. Um, but even that, like, even referencing that, uh, it's, like, more about being in a big creepy house, uh, than the sex you're having in the big creepy house. That's a little bit more, like, below the surface.
1: Right. But I mean, I think big, creepy houses Mm
0: -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm.
1: imply a presence of like, well, history, right? Because it's like dusty, meaning old. (laughs) And they're usually abandoned. So that implies that something bad happened in them. So Mm -hmm. and the bad if we're thinking, you know, houses, if we're thinking family, we're talking about Mm -hmm. incest.
0: Incest is there. Incest is on the table. Definitely. Yeah. No, it's true. And the like house has. I mean, now I'm really getting like <laughs> my <laughs> postgraduate degree, but um, like house as uh, like uncanny womb, like uh, yeah. an uncanny womb in that it like a haunted house, like births, death. <laughs> uh, it's like a like a inverse of of what it's meant to be the haunted house. I love haunted houses. I know this is not directly related to Lolita, but it feels like it was in the cultural, like, milieu of of the internet. The haunted house is the Lolita, flowers in the attic, what else? There was like other stuff that impacted me so much as a, as a, a young adult that it's still like what I'm making work about now.
1: I mean, when I'm thinking about like Victorian gowns, I immediately think of like Picnic at Hanging Rock and stuff. And like, yeah, exactly. That's also very particular. I mean, it's not even incest, but it's a taboo kind of love, right? Like, there's a semi like lesbian, like female friendship obsession thing going on in that movie.
0: Yeah, I think there's also something about like, I know I sort of, because I was at a very impressionable age, fell into the young adult, like feminist trap of like what was happening in like the political sphere in like 2013 or however I'm really bad with um, dates. But however, whatever year it was that I was so online, young, and like coming across all this media, I was thinking about it today. I never really turned my back on Lolita. I never like, you know, I never like hit that, uh, the leader is not a love story drum, but I definitely think that like the female friendship as like political acting really appealed to me as a, as a tween, as a teen, maybe a little bit later in my teens. Um, So the aesthetics of like picnic and hang rock virgin suicides um, early, like Petra Collins photos, the sort of like, embracing the I didn't clock it at the time but the like inherently sexual and fetish like Mm -hmm. creating a fetish object out of your female friendships was like I was really on that tip (laughs) and it like had to be political because everything had to it was the beginning of everything online needing to be a political statement and to quote-unquote good good politics political statement um that's I so got true, re- actually swept up in that i forgot where i was going with it but it's not something <laughs> i believe really put together till just now It happened live on on air and i like linked those things but <laughs> no but actually you're so right i never
1: thought of it that way either, but it's true, like I, I've i talked about this before, but like for my whole life, I had these like really close female friendships that always were kind of implicitly sexual. Mm-hmm. And at the time I kind of interpreted that as being like, oh, that means like I'm not straight. Oh, that means that, you know, like, this is like a lesbian thing. That means that whatever, right. like completely disregarding the fact that friendship, like close friendship in general has a sexual undertone regardless of gender or like anything sure. involved in that. But you're right, mm-hmm. yeah, I, that's probably that, that was probably because everything was so
0: political at the time. That was the only way yeah. you could look at that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like the only way you were allowed to like look at things. And I think it's like, I aged out of that. Like I'm very glad that I experienced those things at the age that I did and then aged out of it as a young adult. Um, but it is interesting. I mean, I think you're a lot younger than I am, right? I mean, not that much. I'm 21, so that's you're a baby. You're so much <laughs> young. <laughs> <than I. laughs> oh my god. Um, that that's, was so hard to hear. That was so hard. To hear. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like oh. that thing we were talking about in the beginning.
1: Like once you're no longer a teenager, you just feel like
0: oh, old. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it is true like after 20 it's I remember being like what's the fucking point now I'm not a sexy 18 year old anymore yeah exactly (laughs) but but that was just to say that I think you just in those the the five-year difference you probably had a very different experience of like the conversations that were happening online that you like either felt I don't know did you feel compelled to like fall in look stuck with, uh, other people online or did, because you're younger, did you feel like these conversations are old and tired and I don't need to be having them anymore. I can like do my own thing. Well, I think for me, it
1: was like, I was on Tumblr at a very young age. Like I was on it from like the ages of like 11 to 15. And then I went completely offline for like four years. Like I just was not on the internet at all. I mean, obviously I would like check Instagram and stuff, but like I wasn't like involved in any community, but for me, because I was on it so young and very impressionable, all those conversations Mm -hmm. like about like gender and sex and sexuality that were having, that were happening on Tumblr were like a really big part of my worldview. And Right. It wasn't until being offline for a while, like, you know, dating boys, like experiencing like, mm-hmm. like real, real life things where I was like, oh, this is kind of bullshit. Like all that yeah. that I like interpreted as truth totally wasn't. And I think yeah, after I like got back online when I was already older, I was like 19 I was like, okay, like I looked at it in a completely different light. I was like, okay, like, I don't want to be a part of this. Like this conversation is Mm tried and boring, but when it was first happening because of how young it was and how impressionable and how much I wanted to fit in, it was definitely like a part of how I interpreted the
0: world. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I wish I had been offline (laughs) more, (laughs) but I was like an only child and I was just on the computer all day. uh but I like feel like my work I could have like fast forwarded through a lot of bad work that I made when I was like 19 or 20 but you know whatever I wouldn't I probably wouldn't be making the work I'm now if I hadn't like had that full like experience that full 180 um sort of like watching the rise and fall of online feminism, third wave. Was it third wave? What? I don't even know. I'm not a feminist anymore, so I don't (laughs) know. I don't know. Whatever wave. wave. (laughs) What what riptide? what feminist riptide? I got pulled under.
1: (laughs) No, but I mean, I think you can't really escape the online anymore. I think the only yeah. the, I think the only way to survive the whatever moment we're going through right now is by being as online as you can be, to be honest. Sure. Because yeah. like, especially if you're somebody who like, whatever, cares about culture and cares about art. Like, I think
0: that's the only yeah. way to really engage with that because all the other oh, channels definitely. have been destroyed. Completely, yeah, yeah. No, I'm definitely not like an offline. I mean, it's a weird thing. I've like, in the last two or three years really sort of shifted my relationship with the internet in that I, um, make work that is, that uses the internet as like its own medium and not as like a receptacle for documentation of like real physical, quote unquote, real physical work. Um, and so I'm like very online, but I also am like, not literate in a lot of ways. Like I said to you, like I texted you earlier. I can't get, I can't get into Twitter on my laptop. Couldn't do it. Gun to my head. Could not get into Twitter on my laptop. (laughs) Um, like reply to emails and I reply to myself in the email. So like, there's this weird thing that happens where it's like, I feel very fluent in like certain spheres and then like really quite retarded, uh, in other ones. And I like wish that I, maybe I do wish that I like was younger and like had been more online even earlier and had like more of a ease with interacting with the internet because sometimes I do like come up against things that I'm like, oh, this is a problem I'm having because I am 26 (laughs) and, uh, I can't, there's like no getting around it.
1: The internet is for
0: the youngins. And I'm not saying that in like a bad way, like that is, it should be. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I think it's a great thing it's for the kid- children but like yeah I don't know
1: but do you think it has something to do with the fact that as an artist you tend to look at the internet as like a collection of images it's like a visual mm-hmm. medium rather than like a physical realm that you like enter or whatever
0: yeah probably I do think of it I do like I also in like interacting with a lot of culture like, s- subculture is not the right word because there really is no longer any subculture but like interacting with certain communities online I think I do approach it aesthetically and like as an artist like mining like a a collection of images for content and for uh, inspiration and less like yeah entering into like a, a real space like I definitely yeah I think the way artists or some artists interact with the internet does like color, how they can like exist within it. Like, I think I felt, I've always felt like a distance from, like I said earlier, those conversations that happen literally like on my work that I've, that I've made to be circulated online, the conversations that happen right under those images feel so distant from me because it's like more, those are more images too, you know? Yeah, that makes sense actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's
1: interesting to look at like internet commentary as like a part of the art piece itself, Mm -hmm. sort of like life engagement with the artwork
0: yeah I mean, I'm doing like a lot of stuff I'm doing now is totally like reliant on the commentary that happens alongside it. like using that as part of the part of the work, like an online performance and the performance is like people's reactions and um, like the ways that they share it and interact with it. I think that's a fun way to to like engage with these cult with these communities because like otherwise it feels like a bit of a brain rot sometimes, you know. Yeah.
1: No, for sure. I mean, I think that's always existed though, right? Like if you look Mm -hmm. at it, like the way that like Lolita was perceived by the critics and the public alike, like all sort of the negative feedback, all the, you know, all the, I mean, it was a completely trashed in the media, right? Like the fact that it was like published by Olympia Press that was like basically like uh, an erotica slash porn publisher. The fact that it was like sexualized from the beginning Mm -hmm. and perceived as such – makes it even more interesting like oh completely
0: like that that adds to its like aura like the the aesthetic experience of lolita is like you cannot uh detangle it from that aura that it it has and that's like what makes it i think such as like a lasting work of art besides the fact that it's an incredible work of art the book like I think it's um it's impact like before I even like when I was a child like truly a kid I like knew the image of the poster and the tagline how did they make a movie of Lolita before I knew what Lolita was and I like had no idea why they couldn't make a movie of it yeah but I like knew that they couldn't but they did and like that's what made it such a like a exciting like piece of uh media to engage with from like a young age is that it had like it was haunted.
1: Yeah, that's true. It is. It's totally haunted, mm-hmm. but that's kind of what makes it a hot object, right? Like that's why it's yeah. so relevant to this day as a thing because because of its history. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I just remember like um I don't know if you've ever seen that show. It's it's a pretty bad show, but like pretty little liars. Um, I've not um it has like a whole cult following online as well. I mean, I say it's bad, but like I totally watched it, but like later regretted watching it. It's like one of those things. But yeah. there's this whole um, like there's this whole like sort of like subplot where the so it's like about a group of girls um and sort of like the the leader of the group goes missing in the first episode. Mm-hmm. And then sort of like the friend group is shattered. One of them moves away and then she moves back and sort of they start hanging out together and they start getting like these like um, anonymous messages from someone called right. A, who's like trying to blackmail them into like right. revealing all of their secrets and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, and then it turns out that like the, the the girl who went missing and then was like later on found dead is um, was basically like somebody who like was you know, obsessed with Lolita and the cult of Lolita and was like, yeah. And she was like having, um, she was like having an affair with like an older man. And like, there's this whole like subplot about it. But like, I think that was, I think it was like, 10 when the show was popular and i remember watching it and i think that's actually right. like how i found out about lolita i was like oh okay like Alison and i'm pretty little lives is like reading lolita and stuff and like these, these there's these like the show is really like badly made it's like really sure had, like, a ridiculous budget but like um there are all these like pretty cool shots of her you know with, like red lipstick and like a black coat like reading lolita at the hairdressers
0: so oh my gosh that's really cool. <laughs> um it's pretty hot. <laughs> that is hot. I'm I'm just trying to remember if there was like a reference to cuz it's like Lolita is just referenced in basically everything. I'm trying to remember if there was something that I saw that made me want to read it or if it was just like I had always known of that image of the poster. I have to think on that. I think it was just that, like that, the image of the poster was always like I was aware of it, and I wanted to know the why, you know, like the why it was so, um, like taboo. Because as a child, I also did not understand, like, I mean, was, this was like pre-sex, you know, so I like didn't yeah. know why. I like it felt similar to me, like as certain films like in the horror genre that i was obsessed with as a kid and wanted to know more about because they also carried like an aura of um this thing is so inherently uh like cursed or horrific in some way that like the fact it even exists on celluloid is like unbelievable like the exorcist has the similar aura or like um last house on the left like all these things that have like uh stories of like how haunted the production was or how cursed the production was or that you know people had to leave the movie theater or people were throwing up and passing out in the movie theater before i even like had a concept of why the like content would make someone do that the content of the film would make someone do that i like wanted to Get close to that, like spookiness. <laughs> yeah, and I always wanted Lily to be a little bit spookier. Like when it does get to when there when murder is involved, I'm like, I want this to be a little bit scarier. But upon my rewatch, I was like, in the age of Jeffrey Epstein and like child pornography rings. I yeah. think that that maybe could be an interesting angle if someone wanted to do another Lolita to like really make it Epsteinified and like lean into the queer the the quilty Claire quilty's weird compound in New Mexico like that was a weird uh, yeah like, right I was like that wait a minute
1: <laughs> no it's really interesting that you bring it up actually because I remember when the whole like QAnon thing was like really like happening like I think it was like two summers ago I remember like going down this whole like reddit rabbit hole like reading all these like QAnon boards and whatever and there was this whole thing where they were like because Cooper obviously is like a huge part of the QAnon conspiracy. Like the fact Mm -hmm. that there were like 20 minutes cut out of um, Eyes Wide Shut and the fact that he died right after and all of that. And I remember someone like making this whole like thread about how um, like the 1962 version of Lolita is also like one of his first attempts to hint at the satanic whatever. um, Yeah. Because because there's also this whole thing like in Quilty's house in the beginning of the movie, um, there's like a tiger or something. And apparently like Epstein was like obsessed with tigers and, you know, like, and they were like making child pornography <laughs> and there was just like this yeah. little angle. So yeah, you're right. That's an intro. That's really interesting. And there's another thing like in the 1997 version, um, like I immediately thought of that when you brought up like the, you know, like horror movie spookiness, because there's this mm-hmm. one scene where Quilty is like, they're at the hotel and Quilty's like sitting outside, um. Like a, in like an armchair or whatever. Right. And he's sitting right um, below a, like a, like a lamp or whatever. And the lights are flickering and they're like insects flying a bit. And he literally looks like a an old horror movie villain.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like an interesting way to like um, look at it, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like right before logging on to talk to you, I was like, Stanley Kubrick, I was like, moon landing, <laughs> Larry Salona broke <laughs> up, the fake New York Post article in Eyes Wide Shut. And then he broke the news of Epstein's suicide, quote unquote. And I was like putting these things together. And I'm like, oh, my God, Larry Salona is an anagram for Royal Lancer. That's Prince Andrew. <laughs> I was like really having a moment. And I was like, I haven't done sufficient research to go on this podcast because this is what I really <laughs> want to talk about. But I've just only scratched the surface. <laughs>
1: To do a part two, and it's literally just queued yes, part two. Movies. Yeah, I
0: know. I know. We like don't want to get canceled. Talk about Lolita, but we're gonna get canceled for like. <laughs> I mean, I changed my mind. For uncovering this, <laughs> this I changed theory. my
1: mind. They can cancel us.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, yeah, it's fine. Just I don't don't, don't care. kill us
1: for this. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna wind up dead tomorrow.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, I've you know, I'm just wondering if it can get to me in Estonia. Like, is is that a thing? Like, is there like a ring? Here? You, I
0: don't know why I thought you were in London. I was. I
1: mean, I lived in London for two years and then I like moved back home because oh. I had like
0: family stuff going on, but. Sure. <laughs> well, you're safe in Estonia. I'm, I'm at risk in London. Stanley Didn't Stanley Kubrick die in London? Yeah, I think. I think or did. right outside of it. I'm not safe here.
1: <laughs> I nearly washed my back. Well, I'll just post this. It's like post mortem, you know? Like, this will be like the last <laughs> thing.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. No, no, no. No, but it is an interesting angle. You're totally right. Like, mm-hmm. the whole. I mean, Quilty is such an interesting character. I mean, I know, I know a lot of people prefer the 1962 version, but as a girl mm-hmm. who grew up on the internet, the 1997 one is just a lot more personal to me it's oh, completely! Yeah, it's the version that I think of when I think of Lolita. But I do have to say that the 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 cruelty character in the 1962 version is a lot more fun.
0: <laughs> oh, I love Peter <laughs> seller so much! Like, what a man! What a man! It's yeah, and the fact that he
1: like travels around with like a like a dominatrix and like latex and stuff—that's yeah. a show. <laughs> He looks
0: like Cher. Like she, I when I saw, I was like, is yeah. that Cher? <laughs> <laughs> no I know it's it's incredible character and it's actually I think I was more scared of him even though he's funny because it's Peter Sellers uh yeah I think I really was like oh he's putting on a disguise and he's in their house who knows what he's doing with Lolita I mean we don't know till the end of the movie what he's been doing with Alita for the last like you know year or however long he's following them in a the car he's calling the hotel room like he's actually so scary, and then he's got a compound with like artists, <laughs> aka the worst, most depraved people in the world. And he's making child porn, and he's like finding other girls. Like that is actually, I want to, I want to watch a movie about him because he's so scary. He's not like it's not a, a love and obsession. It's like a true, um, like sick, twisted, deranged pedophile
1: true and he's a playwright too which is adds a whole, yeah I know uh, layer yeah. of spookiness
0: that's the that's the worst thing about him is
1: that he likes to play <laughs> true um no but it's it, I find it really interesting how in the end of the movie where you know Humbert is like visiting Lolita at her little like house whatever mm-hmm. shack that she lives in um <laughs> sure and <her> it, <laughs> And they're talking about like how she ran away from him, and she's like, you know, he broke my heart, and you broke, uh, and you broke me. Like that's yeah, such a. Right? So it's, it's interesting though because quilty is like a more sort of classic idea of a pedophile, right? Somebody who right. literally kidnaps a child, like makes them do right. Like, child pornography like traps Mm -hmm. them in his mansion and stuff but
0: it's the one that she was in love with yeah yeah that's it I mean in the in Kubrick's version she there's like a line where she says something about like she makes um Humbert promise that'll never leave her that she doesn't want to wind up in a, a home for delinquents and it's like that sort of energy of like knowing your fate like knowing that maybe it's like the chicken and the egg thing like what came first her knowing that she had no future or her getting like you know preyed upon by this lecherous uh Englishman <laughs> um like it, it was a, I I thought that was like one of the more interesting parts of the film is her having this weird, like, um, moment of of knowing that she was either going to wind up in a home for delinquents or, like, become pregnant at a young age or, like, maybe somewhere deep down knowing she was going to, like, get kidnapped by another pedophile. Like, that statistic that, like, once you've been victimized once, you're destined to be victimized, like, over and over again. yeah. No, yeah, that was true. like a spooky little bit. I liked I like that. I was like, oh, that's actually not an angle I had uh been as aware of as a kid or like as a young adult watching it. And as like an old ass adult watching it, I was like, that is quite cool actually to have like a, a moment of like her zooming out and seeing her life um in this really quite depressing way. Makes her like such an interesting character.
1: It just makes me think of, I mean, you're right. Like it's an interesting angle. Yeah. Like I think it makes me think of like Lana lyrics, you know, or like, I don't know, this is what makes Mm -hmm. us girls or whatever, where she's like singing about how, like when you're like a troubled teen girl, like, you know, that there are only a couple of paths that you can take. Right. And Mm -hmm. sort of the excitement of it, but also sort of the nihilism that, yeah. You end up experiencing because of that it's like once you have fun it's like what what, what other things is there for you to do
0: yeah true yeah very virgin suicides you too
1: yeah no that's that's true I think all of these like pieces of media that girls end up like latching on to have a sort of because I think for girls especially teenhood like being a teenage girl is something you don't ever really quite recover from yeah Mm -hmm. because most of your influences and your everything just you know you get formed as a human being during that period of time and it's like you are never quite that hot quite that powerful ever Mm -hmm. again and for women like young age and youth is much more important than it is for men and that's not like a that's not like, I'm not saying that's bad. This is not like a feminist statement where I'm like, oh, you know, we should change no, no, that. No, we should have. It's just a fact. Yeah. And not that yeah. we should even change that. Like, I think that's quite beautiful in its own in its own mm-hmm. way, but it's just, it's something that, yeah, you always end up knowing. And so yeah. there is, yeah, there's a kind of like nihilism to it where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, like what other... I've been talking about this a lot, like, and like, the last, like, three episodes that I did, but I think, like, being 21 now, I'm kind of desperately looking for some kind of way to transition from being a girl to being a woman. But those... Mm-hmm. Because now, especially, like, it's so, like, you know, devoid of anything that, like, ties it to biology or, like, anything that yes, seems right. real. So it's, like, how, how do you define, like if your teen years were so had such an impact on you, how do you become a woman without like, do you still see true to your teen influences? Do you let go of them? Like, I don't know. Do you get pregnant at 22 and like, just let go? Like, what do you do? Oh
0: my God. I know. Right. I know. Yeah. It's like, and it also never, I mean, maybe I'm, overstepping and like speaking for women um on the whole but I feel the same way at 26 like there's always this like um feeling of the like what how how will my power change as I like age with every year that goes by am I losing it or am I gaining a new type of power or like what I don't know it's an interesting one it it never really ends there's never like a definitive answer It, it feels like being a teen is the only time there is sort of definitive answer of like this is where your power lies um it's gonna last for like five years or however long uh And then after that, you're always going to be trying to figure out how to square your current status as a woman with like your previous status as a girl. Um, Which I think it's an interesting problem to have. Like, I think it could, you know, make for some exciting like (laughs) breakthroughs in in therapy sessions and maybe a little (laughs) less interesting art. But like, I think it's a. I think it's like a uh, very uh, beautiful place to like sit in the world, like in that gray area of like no longer Britney Spears, (laughs) you know, not a girl, not yet a woman. (laughs) Yeah, no,
1: that's true. I think that's maybe why Lolita as a character, you know, dying at a young age is so symbolic as well. Is that, Mm -hmm. yeah, she was no longer an infet at 17 when she was pregnant and married. But she wasn't a woman either and she Mm -hmm. never became one.
0: So. Right. she Yeah, exactly. Did the, I mean, I forget if the, the first infant that he falls in love with when he's writing and he's talking about his like boyhood and he meets the girl on the beach i think this is all from memory because i did not look this up but does she for some reason i have a memory of her dying as well at a young age or maybe she's just yeah. like preserved in amber in this moment in his in his memory no, no, no. She dies.
1: Like, they fall in love yeah, when right. he's a boy and she dies before they even get a chance to, like, say goodbye. She dies, like, yeah. when they're on vacation still. so that's
0: right. Incredible. That's incredible.
1: <laughs> and so that's why he, like, you know, her, his love for her is still preserved in that, like, adolescent form. So, mm-hmm. like, she died, he grew up, but he cannot feel any, like, romantic or sexual attraction to anyone who's older than the age that she was when she died. Right. So... Yeah. In any way, Lolita is a love story, even if it's not a love story between that's, Lolita and Humbert, it's a love story yes. between Lolita, uh, between Humbert and um, Annabelle.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's, oh my God, I love that. I'm actually now really stoked to reread this through that lens. <laughs> I'm also just obsessed with like the dead girl phenomenon. It's, that's a whole nother podcast episode, but like, yeah, dead girls, That they're that's huge for me. I find
1: it really interesting as well that um, Annabelle, like in the book is a reference to Annabelle Lee, like the at girl in Poe mm-hmm. poem. Yeah. And that's that's a dead girl as well, a really famous one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Famously, she's famously dead. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I mean, what is it exactly about dead girls that you are attracted to as an idea?
0: um i mean i really fascinated with like i mean it's like there's so many there's so many dead girls that mean so much to me when i was younger i was like really obsessed with um uh lizzie Siddal or lizzie siddle the pre-raphaelite muse who was like died at a young age of a lot overdose she is ophelia in that in those like pre-raphaelite paintings of of Ophelia and she like had a tragic life and was just like tragically beautiful. And like, she could not, her image could not have persisted if she had not died in the way that she did. Um, she's like an OG, like dead it girl for me. And there's like, there's just so many, but I think I, another community that I watch very closely online and like make work specifically to like, infiltrate and interact with is like the true crime community and that is like the whole dead girl industrial complex another set of people who feel like morally queasy about their desire to to hear stories about girls getting like raped and murdered and dismembered so they like have to um sort of like hide behind uh like a sort of um, victim first, like we're you know doing this first and foremost to like honor the memory of the victims, et cetera, et cetera, but it really is like a total bloodlust that people have to see young hot girls be eviscerated and then to like share those stories online um and I really am interested in like the way that people reckon with themselves for like indulging in those things and like you know we'll do a whole podcast about it but then like it it always turns into like a like a social justice restorative justice type of thing or like carceral justice (laughs) type of conversation rather than just a, a pure indulgence in in dead girls it's like a topic I'm, I'm so obsessed with and I'm like still trying to figure out through like writing and research and work I'm making. But it's, um, there's, there's a lot of that online to like, I've got a lot of, of raw material to mine. But do you think it's like, I
1: mean, maybe this is like a big question, but do you think that maybe one of the reasons why people are so interested in these stories of like young hot girls being you know brutally murdered and eviscerated is because we are very uncomfortable with the idea of womanhood whatever it means like we got a, uh, we got rid of like the biological function of it so now yes. adult women are just like they don't really play right. any role in society anymore
0: mm-hmm. yeah like the body yeah the the female body as like Something to be literally chopped up and like strewn in a field is like, I think ticks a lot of boxes for people and like um, really for women, especially does a lot of like playing on the mind of like what your body means in society now. I hate to say society ever. That was like <laughs> I stumbled there by saying the word society. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it's uh it's interesting. It's sad. It's fascinating. <laughs>
0: mhm. Mm-hmm. It is. But yeah. And like Alita dies because of her womanhood like she gets pregnant and dies from giving birth. Right? Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Like that's an interesting thing that it's her like womanhood. I mean, this is so obvious, but like her womanhood is what is what kills her, not um, not the pedophile, not the not the man with the gun, but like her pregnancy. That's true. Yeah.
1: I don't know why I didn't think of that. Like that's such an obvious thing, but I was like, oh, okay. She died during birth, whatever. But yeah, you're yeah. right. It is her womanhood that kills her. And mm-hmm. it's like her giving up her life to birth another child that, you know, is going to mm-hmm. be out there in the world and might get corrupted by other. I mean, assuming uh, it's a girl, but even if it's not a girl, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Getting corrupted by like older, perverse men. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. dies, like allowing that to happen.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she leaves, like, the child with only a man to, like, raise it, which is what she basically, I mean, she, her mom died when she was a teen, but, yeah, it's like a similar sort of, like, repetition. That's true, yeah. What do you you think of
1: um, the ending scene of the 1997 movie? Like, you know, when he's, like, standing on the hill and, like, police is, like, Mm -hmm. chasing after him and he's, like, listening to children play and he's, like, you know, I heard the, whatever, the laughter of children at play and I thought my only regret was that Lolita was not one of them.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I prefer that ending. Like, I actually really like that. And I love, I mean, Jeremy Iron's voice, his narration, I think suits the character. James Mason's voice is so distinct. It's so James Mason. <laughs> and it like it is actually disturbing because I'm like, ew, that that man's face and his voice are like it's hard for me to, I can't engage with him right now. <laughs> but um I think that the ending of that, that one is like, it is a nice uh theatrical like popcorn button to the <laughs> to the film and the Kubrick just ends like he's you know you're like oh yeah then he goes to his house like it starts it goes in a circle and it's like oh of course of course he's gonna he's showing up to kill Quilty which is how the movie opened but I like the I like the monologue and I like the poem the the rust and stardust obviously that's gorgeous bit of writing yeah why what do you how do you feel about that I think it gives it an interesting
1: angle as well because the 1997 version is so erotic and it's been like so eroticized and romanticized online (laughs) that looking at it in any sort of like you know perverted way seems almost weird because it's like a it's like a tragic pure love story but then that scene at the end gives it another spin right because it's like oh but he knows he like he knew what he was doing all along like yeah Yeah, he was attracted to her and yeah she tempted him but like he knew she was a child so I think it's it's an interesting note to end a film on because it sort of disrupts everything else that was said before uh almost
0: right I think maybe that is yeah that's I didn't like pick up on that, but that is exactly what it does. And maybe that's why I like it because I think that I remember having a similar experience reading the book, like in the moments that you're reminded that he is providing this account and it's he's addressing like the jury sometimes and he's like, you're you're, like, you quickly brought back into the fact that he is writing this from his jail cell while he's in trial for murder and he's like confessing maybe only halfway to his crimes is like something that I remember really liking because I, as like an introduction to to narrative and to like um, first person storytelling, I was like, it's so much more interesting to be reading someone I can't trust who I don't know um, if I'm supposed to like them or not like them. Like as a reading that as like, like you, said you were 12 I was maybe like 14 or 15 I think I think did set me up to like have a um, more like nuanced uh, relationship with media like that because I was like oh I want I want to seek out more things like this where I don't know if I am supposed to how I'm supposed to feel about the person who's talking to me right now and like in Kubrick is like the Kubrick version feels like that narration um, only sort of acts as like pushing the narrative forward. Like it's his diary entries and not a lot of reminding the viewer that it's like a diary entry from prison or like, you know, written to say to a jury. Yeah. I
1: mean obviously the whole unreliable narrator thing gets brought up all the time. Every time there's like a Mm -hmm. discussion about Lolita online, right. It's like, Oh, you know, Mm -hmm. how dare you think this is a love story. He's an unreliable narrator. He like, (laughs) a child. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But do you think it matters that he's an unreliable narrator? Like, do you think, do you think that the audience like, sort of having to guess whether or not certain things that he's presenting in a certain light are correct or not? Like, do you think that should be something that we consider when looking at the story? Or is it just like, oh, whatever, like, this is the story we have at our hands. And this is the way that it's been told. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: like, that's all that matters.
0: Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think it matters not in the way that like, people think it does. <laughs> like, I don't think it matters... Um, because I don't think that art is where we should get our uh, morals from or like, yeah. <laughs> our, uh, you, know, you know, like, I don't think it matters in that sense. I think it matters as like um, a way to engage with like stories that are complicated in like a true sense and problematic in like a true sense of the word. Like there are problems that the... Uh, a reader or the viewer um should have a like a good and interesting and challenging time pulling apart not like problems that should have like definitive answers i think that like not knowing i think i like to make i've actually not put this together till just now but lalita's inspired me in so many ways because i like make a lot of my work from a place of like not um sort of like making clear my intentions or my quote like goals or aims or um if I am a good or bad person like if any politics like inherent in my work I'm pro or anti like I I think that was something I like picked up on from Lolita that I was like this is actually an interesting place to tell a story from like being unsure it's like where you stand with the person who's made or who is telling you the story you're listening to so I think it matters in that way um but not in uh, a way that like has like a a easy yes or no answer
1: so do you think that all good art is by definition made by or told from the perspective (laughs) of an unreliable narrator
0: um Hmm, I don't know. I get wary about making definitive statements like that because I realize that I'm always speaking to my own, like how I make my art. So I'm like, so I think that art that I make that I think is good, like what I produce that I think is good is from an unreliable narrator. But I wouldn't, you know, I don't want to make a definitive statement about how other people make art. But personally, I think probably yes. Um like talk about like I'm there's a show there's a Francis Bacon show up at the Royal Academy right now that I've not seen but I really I'm looking forward to and like I've been thinking about him a lot recently as an unreliable narrator and he's like a great example of it that and makes some of the best paintings that have ever been made but you know I'm sure that there's some really good reliable narrators who make really good work um so I don't want (laughs) to I don't know I don't want to dog on them too much, but I feel like that's kind of rare.
1: I mean, I think if you're looking at art from the perspective of a teen girl or a teen girl who just happened to grow up, I think mm-hmm. the, the quality that sort of unreliable narrator storytelling or art tends to have is kind of what I think a lot of us were and are attracted to, right? Because it's the ambiguity that allows us to exist within that context and continue to fetishize ourselves without questioning it too much.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. It's a funny one because it's like, that is exactly the type of things that you're drawn to. And simultaneously, I think there is like a real childhood desire to be told exactly what's right and wrong and to feel safe in, in knowing what's right and wrong and who to trust and who not to trust I think that's like the that's the ongoing like conflict within like you said teen girls or teen girls that have happened to grow up <laughs> um and not died in childbirth at like 17 um that's like the conflict that is always like (laughs) raging within is wanting to be told exactly what to do and how to think and and also rejecting that if you if you could go back and
1: change Mm -hmm. anything about your um history slash perception with and off lolita would you do it or are you happy with the role that it has played in your life and your art and your perception of the world
0: i'm very happy with the role that it played in me as a as a girl and woman and artist i mean maybe i would have i would have watched the kubrick version earlier like in the same like time frame that i watched the 97 one it's funny that I had like as like a teen girl I had zero interest in like the art of Stanley Kubrick and I mean I love obviously The Shining because I loved horror films but like I wanted to see uh I wanted to see some horny stuff happen (laughs) and I think maybe I would have like introduced some more artfulness into my um the way I interacted with Lolita but maybe not because like you said there is something like Yeah, when I think of it, I think of the images from the, of like Dominique Swain jumping up and wrapping her legs around Jeremy Irons, like those things don't um, exist in the, in the um, 62, 62 version. Um, And I'm just remembering, I don't regret this at all, but the first time I kind of got canceled online was because I posted like a couple years ago. Um, when I first started to like, think about maybe like three years ago, I first started to think about intentionally, like playing with the internet and like, uh, leaning into provocation as like a tool to like make work travel through the internet (laughs) faster. I posted these screen tests from, from that 97 version of Dominique Swain and, Jamie Irons and she like truly has braces still. She's so gangly and it's uh shot on VHS, which obviously huge influence on me. I think that screen test have had more influence on my work than than actually the the films have, but like that was the first time I got roundly cancelled online and people got very mad. But I don't regret that because I think that made me um wanna <laughs> do more of that, <laughs> be even worse online. I mean,
1: I love the screen taps, though, because they're very, like, snuff film-like. Like, exactly a snuff film quality is interesting. Yeah,
0: I know. I mean, that's something that's, like, carried on through everything I've made since then, basically. Do you feel... Do you have any regrets about... Or, like, not regrets, but how would you alter your relationship with Halita if if at all?
1: I mean, this is not... Like my relationship with Alita as much as it is it is about well, I think if I could go back to being a teenager, I would definitely have an affair with an older man. Like that's something that's oh, genuinely actually, on my mind a lot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I would, Me too. Me too. <laughs> I would definitely do that. But other than that, yeah, no regrets. I don't know. I think, yeah. I watched the two versions back to back basically. Read the book. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I, like, ate up, like, the horniness of it, you know? like Completely, yeah. <laughs> definitely. So, yeah, no, profound influence. Um, love the hard-shaped sunglasses. Um, oh, yeah. That actually makes me think of something, because you're wearing a Marilyn Manson mm-hmm. t-shirt right now. You know, like, that hard <gasps> Oh, my God, shape. I
0: am, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, heart shaped glasses and Rachel Wood being his little Alita that that grew up to cancel him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's so you know, it's an interesting little cultural moment there.
0: Oh my god, you should have had her. She should have been your guest to talk about Lolita. I'm sure she'd have some really interesting things to say.
1: I mean, I don't think she'd ever interact with me. I'd probably, she'd probably cancel me right away. But no, it's uh, it's so funny. Like I was, yeah, I was reading this Polly essay about um like Zalita. It's called something like Lolita on Unclothes or something. And it's like a okay. it's like a transcript of um like a documentary episode that they did on it. It's like her and like a bunch of journalists and like um like basically like cultural commentary. And there's this one um, journalist who was interviewed for it and she's talking about how she got, um, she was like, she went on vacation with her children and her little daughter, who was like 10, asked for some new sunglasses and they went to the gas station. She bought her like the heart-shaped sunglasses. And then the mm-hmm. friends that they were vacationing with, like the like her older like male friend like pointed out like, how could you buy the sunglasses for her? You're basically like sexualizing your child. And she was <laughs> like, those are literally heart-shaped sunglasses. Like, what's your yeah. problem? And like that immediately yeah. made me think of the Marilyn Manson video because Rachel Lemon yeah. was like- wearing those glasses in that video and mm-hmm. like she's interesting though because you know the movie pretty persuasion no actually I don't what is this she plays a high school student in it who basically me too's someone to get an really? acting role yeah shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's oh true my God. And it was like during, it was firm during oh. the time that she was dating Marilyn Manson. So it's like an interesting
0: oh, little cultural. That's artifact. incredible. <laughs> Just made me think of that. Oh, I have beef with her. <laughs> <laughs> so I was supposed to do. Uh, I'm not going to say anything that could get me in trouble, but I was supposed to do something semi-adjacent with, with. Very removed from, but like semi adjacent to Marilyn Manson, supposed to be released. It was like made in the can, ready to be released uh, the week that she <laughs> came oh, out with no. that. And it was like my dream project that has never happened because of her. I'm like, because you just have kept it for another, kept it under wraps for another month and then released it. <laughs> so I could have gotten some media too. I could have gotten canceled alongside. <laughs>
1: oh no that sucks
0: that's awful yeah yeah i know it's fine. <laughs>
1: I mean, I don't really want to go into the whole like Me Too Marilyn Manson thing, but I I think it's really interesting how like for literally for years um, I was like reading comments under his videos like talking about how um, like guys like open up your eyes like he like abused her like how can you not see how can you like still listen to his music and stuff Mm -hmm. and she for years didn't come out with that like I know she like didn't say anything and then just out of nowhere it was like oh yeah.
0: I know. Yeah, that's funny. I think he's gonna come back. I think it's been I think he spent enough time in cancel jail. I think he's like slowly gonna like enter the public eye again and people are gonna have forgotten will long care anymore. I'm I'm I feel okay wearing this shirt out in the world. It's a great shirt. So <laughs> it's a good shirt, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Wait, is this is this gonna be posted with video or no? No. Oh thank God. <laughs>
1: I can take a little screenshot of your shirt if you want. You take a
0: screenshot of the shirt. Yeah, <laughs> a little promo. Okay, <laughs> <quite> perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah,
1: I don't know. Any last, any last thoughts on Lolita? Um, Marilyn Manson, anything?
0: Anything? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just feel very tenderly, like like Humbert feels tenderly for Lolita. I feel very tenderly for Lolita as well. The uh, the book, Lolita, the book and the girl but I like really am looking forward to rereading the book as an adult and like uh seeing how it how it hits today um I'm so glad that I I've had my relationship with it and it's like looked. it's made my life look the way my life looks and my art look the way it looks I'm like oh great debt to Nabokov and to the screen tests for the 97 (laughs) Lolita.